So, <clears throat> I love a really good rocking chair. It's one of my favorite seats, really, because <sighs> rocking chair, it's a great thing to just kind of sit on the porch so you watch something or nothing, do nothing, and just kind of let time pass you by. I love a rocking chair. It's cozy, it's comfortable, it's kind of the chair of complacency, really. And whenever I think of a rocking chair, you know, I, I always think of that glorious restaurant chain that you find right off the interstate. You know, after a long drive, they got them out there on the porch, and you sit in them while you wait to order your country fried steak. You see, a rocking chair, it's, it's a great thing to just kind of wait in. It, it gives you something to do while you occupy your time. Interesting thing about a rocking chair is that it's, it's constantly in motion. You know, you move a few inches forward, a few inches back, a few inches forward, a few inches back, a few inches forward, you get the point, a few inches back. But you never actually go anywhere. You're constantly in motion, moving forward and back and forward and back and forward and back, but you never end up going anywhere. And so my question and, and what, I, what I wonder about is, is I wonder if it feels like for you sometimes that, that you're just kind of living your life in a rocking chair. Forward a little bit, then back a little bit. And forward a little bit, back a little bit. Constantly in motion, but never really going anywhere. And, and I wonder, and, and this is really my concern, I, I wonder, and I'm concerned, is that kind of how your faith feels sometimes? Is, are you living your faith sort of in a rocking chair? Forward a little, then back a little. Forward a little, back a little. And so my hope over these next few weeks, my hope is that all of us will kind of get out of our rocking chair of faith and go and take that next step, whatever that next step might be for you. But, you know, it's kind of hard to get out of a rocking chair because they're just so daggone cozy and comfortable, right? Get a nice little rhythm going, just a gentle, you know, rocking back and forth, and you can end up getting in a rut. And so today, I want to talk about habits, because I think kind of the key to getting out of this sort of back and forth, but really going nowhere motion, is habits. Habits are those, you know, those, those small changes that can make a big difference over time. And, and what I found to be kind of the key in my life to getting out of that habit of just moving forward a couple inches and back and forward and back, forward and back. That gentle rock that I have with my life, the key that I've found is habits, developing new habits, that, that it takes a new habit to break an old habit. You know, you can pray every day for a generous heart. You can pray every day for a loving heart, for a patient heart, for a forgiving heart, but until you actually do it, you're not going anywhere. Nothing is really changing. Now, 
Today, as we talk about habits, uh, we're going to go really deep, and by deep I mean uh, it's going to be kind of complex and it's going to be confusing, but as Christians, we don't say it's complex. We say, oh, that was so deep, yeah, yeah, right? Um, so uh, just, you know, word of warning, it's, there's a lot going on today, so if you get lost, uh, it's not your fault, it's mine but it's deep, okay? So try to hang with me. Try to hang with me today. Um, So I've been reading uh, a lot about habits lately, and uh, and there's two books that have kind of really made a big uh, difference in shaping uh, the way that I think about things. Uh, The first is um, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and then one that just came out recently is Atomic Habits by James Clear. They're not religious books. They're not Christian books uh, by any means, um, but they have like just really, really shaped me and uh, the thought behind them research is really profound. So if you do pick them up and uh, you know you start reading them and you find something that I say uh, sounds familiar in what you're reading, it's probably true uh, because these books have shaped me so much and I just want to give credit to them. Uh, But long before these books were ever published, there was a pastor or a priest really who took this idea of habits and applied it to the Christian faith. His name was John Wesley. If you've been with us before, you may have heard of that name, uh, heard me talk about him. He's the founder of the Methodist movement where we kind of have our spiritual home at within Christianity. And what John Wesley did is that he noticed, he noticed that Christianity during his time in England had this kind of rocking chair faith. People would move forward a little bit and back a little bit, forward and back. They were constantly in motion and going through the motions of Christianity, but nobody was ever really going anywhere. Their faith wasn't really making a difference in their lives and in the lives of those around them. And so what John Wesley did is that he started uh, the Holy Club, um, on uh, the college campus of Oxford with a small group of guys. And uh, it was a small group of guys, and they would meet every day, uh, every evening for, for prayer and studying the Bible. They would fast two times a week. They would take uh, communion once a week. They would visit uh, the sick and the prisoners on a weekly basis, and they would bring their lives under this strict review, asking each other, holding each other accountable every day. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Where have you kind of fallen short? Where have you kind of messed up? Let's own up to that. And also, where have you seen God? Where have you seen God at work within your life? And their, their lifestyle and their practice of faith was so systematically methodical that the other students would call them the derogatory name Methodist, that they were just so methodical in the way that they went about their faith that they were called Methodist, and the name just happened to stick. We are First United Methodist Church of Dunedin. And John Wesley, uh, he said this, and I think this kind of encapsulates the way that he approached faith. He said this. He said, everyone, though born of God in an instant. So, you know, uh, meaning that when someone kind of commits their life uh, to, to God, commits their life to Jesus, uh, there's, there's this kind of instant uh, rebirth that happens within them, that they're, they're born again right then and there. And he goes on, uh, they're born of God in an instant, yea, and sanctified in an instant, meaning that, that in that moment something happens within us, we call that grace, and it makes us more holy, it makes us a little bit more godly, 
But he says this, and he says, yet undoubtedly grows by slow degrees. In other words, it's great to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, I believe, yes, my, my life is now in you, but you actually have to follow Jesus, is what John Wesley said. You have to, you have to change your behaviors, you have, to, you have to change your habits to grow and become actually more like Jesus. And that process, it's a long one. <laughs> If we ever get there, it's, it's a process that happens by these slow changes over time. And these slow changes over time end up making a big difference in our lives. And so, you know, when Jesus walked this earth, he allowed himself to be kind of constantly interrupted by people. I mean, people would come to him, he would, he would heal them, he would feed them, he would teach them, you know, all sorts of stuff. He was constantly interrupted, and yet, undergirding all of that, he had this, this system, this, this habit of prayer that he would draw away from the crowds to go and pray to his heavenly father. He had this system, this habit of prayer. He had this system, this habit of going to the synagogue to, to study and worship God, that, that even though Jesus had this very adventurous life, there was always this kind of pattern, this habit that he had to it. And so James Clear, the author of one of those books, Atomic Habits, he says this, and when he said this, it just kind of really clicked on for me. He said, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And so why is it, why is it that, that so many of us, we, we have good intentions, we, we have good goals, but, but time after time after time, we fail at reaching those goals. Why is it that we set New Year's resolutions, but studies show that most of us abandon those by Valentine's Day? Why is that? And, and we all set good goals. I mean, I've never heard of somebody making a New Year's resolution to have you know, dangerously high cholesterol or doubling their debt. But by the time Thanksgiving rolls around next year, you're teetering on the edge. And you're like, well... Oh, well, give me some more gravy, right? So, you know, why, why is it that if you set a goal to lose 10 pounds over the next few months, but you don't build a system of diet and exercise, you're not going to get there. You're not going to go anywhere. It's not going to happen. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And you might think, well, it's really interesting to think about habits and all that stuff, but it doesn't sound very spiritual. And I came to church to learn some spiritual things. But here's the thing. When I read the Bible through this lens of, of kind of habitual systematic practices, uh, you know, I see this kind of reaffirmed throughout the characters in the Bible, throughout the people that we read about in that book. I think of, of Daniel. You remember Daniel and the lion's den, or if you've never heard of it before, you know, there might be some faint memory. But Daniel, uh, he kind of stood out among his peers, and what made Daniel stand out among this group of other young men, what made him stand out as, as being so smart and godly and gifted and wise, what, what made him do that? 
What made him stand apart from the rest? And, and why was it that when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions that he came out the other side alive, standing strong in his faith and was actually able to kind of overturn the injustice of the political system of his day? Well, he had a system. He had a habit throughout all these years. He had a habit of praying three times a day to God. He had a habit of fasting and self-control. And then you think of somebody else like, like Samson in the Bible who was so reckless, always getting into trouble. Why was that? Well, he had no self-control. He had no self-discipline. He had a habit of picking fights and picking up women that he had no business picking up in the first place. That you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And the mistake that, that we often make, the mistake that we often make is thinking that, that these small good changes don't actually make that big of a difference. So you give up drinking soda and you start walking two times a week. And then you get on the scale the next week and you find that you've actually gained a pound. Anybody have that happen to them? You don't have to raise your hand. It's happened to me for sure. Uh, and you think, ah, these small changes, you know, this little tweak in the diet, it, it doesn't actually do any good. Or we make the mistake by thinking that these small kind of bad habits don't actually make that big of a difference, that you can eat a whole bag of Oreos and then the next week or the next day you get on the scale and you've lost weight. I don't know how it works, maybe my body's weird, uh, but it's, it's those small changes over time that end up kind of compounding, building on each other like interest that ends up making a big difference. And like interest, those small things compounded over time can either work towards your favor or they can trap you. You keep walking a few days a week, and, and over a couple months, you might find that you've dropped a couple pounds, that your blood pressure has dropped a pound, couple pounds. Conversely, you keep eating a bag of Oreos every night, and you might find that there's some compounded interest there, and you've gained a couple pounds. The small changes over time leads to a big difference. And so I want to take us back uh, to what uh, Paul said in Galatians chapter 9 that we kind of started this whole thing off with. Paul said this, let us not become weary of doing good. He's talking to a bunch of Christians here. So, you know, let's, let, let us not become weary in, in reading the scriptures. Let us not become weary in, in praying. Let us not become weary in fasting. Let's not become weary in serving others. Let's not become weary in standing up for the oppressed. Let's not become weary in our search for God. For at the proper time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. At the proper time. We may not see it for a little while. We may not see it instantly. But those small things, if we don't grow weary, those small things, we find that the roots are beginning to grow a little bit deeper, that sprouts are beginning to shoot up. And then it seems like all of a sudden, one day, there's fruit on the vine. He's saying, do not give up. Do not grow weary. Press on. Press on towards the goal, and you will find a harvest from all of that hard work. Now, I could say a whole lot more about this, uh, 
but I'm not your dietitian. Uh, I'm not your trainer. I'm not your financial advisor. You can take some of this stuff and apply it to all of those other areas. What I am is I am your pastor. And here's where I think the rubber kind of really meets the road and where I think faith really kind of comes in. Studies have shown that if we are to have any real behavior change, any lasting change in our behavior, we must first have a change in our identity. That if we're going to have any real change in our behavior, what we do, we first have to have a change in who we are. Because behavior that is incongruent, incompatible with our identity will not last. That's both good news and bad news. And so one of the authors of one of these books, I can't remember who it is, uh, he used this illustration. He said, you know, two people who are trying to quit smoking cigarettes. The first person is offered a cigarette and they say, uh, no thanks, I'm, I'm trying to quit. They still believe that they are a smoker who is trying to quit something. The second person is offered a cigarette and they say, no thank you, I don't smoke even though just yesterday they smoked a whole carton of cigarettes. But something has changed in their identity. Something has changed in their identity. It's one thing to say that you are the type of person who wants this, who desires this, but it's something very different to say that you are the person who now is this. It comes down to your identity. Any real change, any lasting change in behavior must begin with your identity. Because any behavior that is incongruent or incompatible with your identity will not last. Now, hang with me now because we're going somewhere. I promise we'll get there. Psychologists have found that once a person believes in a certain aspect of their identity, they are more likely to act in alignment with that belief. That really what they're saying is that your behaviors are a reflection of who you are. That you do you. You do what you do. And what you do is an indication of the type of person that you believe that you are, either consciously or unconsciously. So if you believe that you are a generous person, you act in alignment with that belief. You share some of the things that you have with other people. If you believe that you are a loving, supportive, faithful spouse, then you do things that act in alignment with that belief about who you are. You buy your spouse flowers and go on dates and you don't flirt with other people, right? And so fun fact, Fun fact, the word identity uh, has its root in, in Latin, and it's actually two Latin words that are kind of smashed together that give us the English word identity. And the first word is ascentitas, and it, and it means being or essence, right? Uh, and the second word is identitem, meaning repeatedly. And so together, it means that your identity is your repeated beingness that you are what you continually do, and you prove who you are by what you do repeatedly. That's both good news and bad news. Because, because, and maybe you've experienced this, that an unhealthy identity ignites unhealthy habits, and unhealthy habits fuel an unhealthy identity. Conversely, a healthy identity 
ignites healthy habits, and healthy habits fuel a healthy identity. Let me, let me say that again in case you missed it, and I think we have it up on the screen. An unhealthy identity ignites unhealthy habits, and unhealthy habits fuel an unhealthy identity. Conversely, a healthy identity ignites healthy habits, and healthy habits fuel a healthy identity. So if there's an unhealthy identity, it ignites unhealthy habits. Unhealthy identity, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a good parent, so you can just justify yelling at your kids. I, I'm not good with money, so you don't even bother trying to make a budget. There might be some truth in some of that somewhere, but you're allowing it to become kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. An unhealthy identity ignites unhealthy habits, and unhealthy habits fuel that unhealthy identity. But healthy identity ignites healthy habits. I'm someone who, who cares deeply about the environment. And so you reduce, reuse, and recycle. And that healthy identity ignites healthy habits, and healthy habits fuel that healthy identity. So that whenever you do recycle, whenever you do reduce waste, you're proving to yourself that you are a person who does indeed care about God's creation. But what happens? What happens when we have a distorted view of ourselves? What, what happens when we, when we have this unhealthy identity? And it, and it happens often. I mean, maybe you've been there before where you've had this kind of unhealthy understanding of, of really who you are. And it's actually very common. I mean, ever since Genesis chapter 3, you know, the opening pages of the Bible, we found out that we have an unhealthy identity. That's kind of what our story tells us, that there's this serpent, the enemy of God's goodness, came to us in the garden and started feeding us lies about who we are and who God created us to be. God said, I created you in my image and you are good. And then the serpent comes, the enemy of God's goodness comes along and says, you're not really all that good. That, that there could be more waiting for you, that, that God created you and God's kind of holding back on you. It's the oldest lie in the book and it worked. We bought into it and we made the biggest mistake in the world, not trusting God, but trusting in ourselves and we created an unhealthy identity that all of us have been struggling with ever since. We bought into an unhealthy identity that fueled this unhealthy habits that we as Christians, we call those sin. And so, in the book of Romans, we're going to jump ahead a little bit now, uh, we see that, that there's a man called the Apostle Paul, and he's wrestling with this sense of identity. And he's really wrestling with, with this sense of, of his behavior, you know, what, what he is doing repeatedly and, and who he is. And so, uh, this comes to us from uh, Romans uh, chapter 7. He says this. He says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Anyone ever feel like you can relate to that, right? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know that this isn't right. I don't really understand myself uh, because I want to do the right thing. I, I, really, I really want to do, I, I set this goal, but why can't I reach it? Why do I keep doing the wrong thing. 
So skip down a couple verses to verse 21, and he says this. He says, so I find this law, this principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. There's, there's this principle that, that when I, I want to do the right thing, I inevitably always end up doing the wrong thing. I, I have this good goal, but I, I keep falling back into these old bad patterns. He's kind of talking about his past life and where he is presently right now. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I I love God. I want to live a God-honoring life. I want to live a life that pleases God. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And then Paul does something that we all do. Paul connects his failures, all those falling shorts. He connects his failures to his identity. He connects his his bad behaviors to who he is internally. And he says this, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Connecting his failures to his identity. But then he asks a question. He says, who will rescue me? Who who will deliver me? Who who will pull me up from this body that is subject to death? How can I escape this tension, this war that is within me, these these unhealthy behaviors? I, I keep doing the very thing that I hate. How can I escape that? How can I escape these unhealthy behaviors that's that's fueling this unhealthy identity? I'm just a wretched man. How can I break free? How can I possibly get out of this cycle? How can I possibly stop just moving forward a little bit and back and forward and back and forward and back, but not really going anywhere? How can I break free? And then watch what he says next. He says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Thanks be to God who delivers me, rescues me, pulls me up, gets me out of this habitual routine of moving forward, moving back, moving forward, moving back, moving forward, moving back, but not really getting anywhere. God has delivered me through Jesus Christ. That's great. But he's still asking the question, what difference does that make in my life? And he goes on in the next chapter. So this is just a tip if you're ever reading your Bible. Just because the chapter ends doesn't mean that you need to stop reading. Because what he says next makes sense of this whole thing. This is Romans chapter 8 now, verse 1. He says, therefore... Therefore, in in light of God, in light of this God who has delivered me, who has delivered me from my evil ways, from my sin, from my unhealthy behaviors, in light of God who has delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The difference now is that, is that in Jesus, in Jesus, you have a new identity. 
that in Jesus you have been set free, that you've got a fresh start. You don't have to keep living with those same unhealthy behaviors that keep fueling that same unhealthy identity. You've been made new by God, that you've been born anew by God in an instant. You've been sanctified, made holy, made godly in an instant. The old has passed away and the new has come. You've been given a new name. That if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, there is, there is no condemnation. God isn't holding anything against you. God isn't, isn't wagging a cosmic finger at you because of all the ways that you fall short of God's standards, because of the ways that you fall short of your own standards. That if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, that you've surrendered your life, you've surrendered your ways, not to your own ways, but you've surrendered them to God. God doesn't see anymore your mess-ups, your hang-ups, your letdowns. What God sees now, what Paul says, what God sees now when God looks at you is Christ. That's what God sees when God looks at you. And that changes everything that you have been set free, and now there's this immense potential that is waiting for you. There's freedom through the Spirit of God at work within you. That same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you, and if that Spirit is strong enough to break the bonds of death and sin, that Spirit is strong enough to break those unhealthy behaviors, those unhealthy identities. It's a Spirit that's full of power and love and self-discipline. You are now a child of God. That's who you are. At your most fundamental level, you are a child of God. And if that is who you are, if that is your belief, if that is kind of one of the fundamental parts of your identity, then align yourself to it. Children of God, purify yourself, as 1 John chapter 3 says. So look, I I cannot stress this enough that no matter who you think that you are when you look in the mirror, who you think that you are after you fall short and you set that goal and you fall and fail to meet it again, no matter who you think that you are, your identity has already been spoken over you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a child of God. That you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You've buried your old self and you've been raised to new life in Christ. And so your identity, your model, your, your daily prayer for your repeated beingness should be, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. I am a man. I am a woman. I am a child of God who is growing into the likeness of Christ Generous, loving, compassionate, forgiving, selfless. That's who God says that you are. That's who God says that I am. That's who God has called us to be. And so decide today. Decide today that that's the type of person that you want to be. And prove it to yourself through those small changes in your habits, repeatedly be like Jesus. 
What I'm asking is, decide today. Are you going to be the type of person who sits in a rocking chair? Moving a couple inches forward and a couple back. Forward and back. Constantly in motion, but going nowhere. Or, are you going to be the type of person who gets up from that chair of complacency and does something? So Holy Spirit, God, more than anything else, help us to be like Jesus. God, if we aim for anything else besides Jesus, Lord, we know that we're aiming too low because you have called us higher than we could ever ask or we could ever even imagine. But God, you've promised us that that you're the God that could do more than we could ever possibly ask or imagine. And so God, give to us the discipline. Lord, give to us the self-control, the perseverance to be who you already say that we are, your beloved children. And Lord, if for some of us that identity just seems so far away from where we see ourselves. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would speak that truth into the depths of our lives today. God, that we would know who we are in you. That we are yours and you are ours. God, may it be so. Help us to break those bonds of an unhealthy identity. Help us to break those bonds of unhealthy behavior. Help us to live and walk in freedom and newness of life that you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.